Recorded live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, May 8th. Each of us has a seed of divine light, infinite power that lies within, awaiting the acknowledgement to express itself on earth. Look within to your seed for the jewel of your heart to carry forth on planet earth today. The time is now. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. I am a metaphysician, clairvoyant and clairaudient intuitive, writer, a public speaker, PR and marketer, personal advisor to visionaries, leader and spiritual teacher. Please explore more on my website at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com or at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. Tonight on Evolution Revolution, I am honored to have an appearance from Dr. Adrian Windsor, who holds a BA, MA, and PhD in English Language and Literature from the University of Michigan. In 1998, she was listed in Who's Who of American Teachers and is currently listed in Who's Who in America. An educator for several years, she is also a licensed California real estate broker, certified international property specialist, and ordained minister. She is a member of the Inside Edge at UC Irvine, which hosts weekly a vast array of gifted metaphysical teachers, leaders, speakers, and healers. In her latest book release, Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power, she offers a plan for mastering life, work, and relationships with vision and zeal by intuitively acknowledging purpose and intention. She earnestly believes life is sales. When you ask the right questions, you know your product, you, and then can optimally take charge. Adrian makes the promise below to each reader of her book. If you choose to follow the complete path, you will become a great pirate and take sovereignty over your life, let go of outmoded behavior patterns, piano tops, discard irrelevancies, mistakes, and greet challenges proactively, Use leverage to do more with less. Create synergy in your families, your relationships, and your work. Envision your big picture and take command of your navigational path and tap into your true wealth and accept abundance. Tonight, we will take an insightful look into becoming aware of the practical tools that can assist one on their journey to maximizing their understanding of their greatest sales product, oneself. The book offers deep wisdom from many past earthly masters combined with a personal introspection that results in seven tools to maximize one's life experience and embrace that one is in the driver's seat in their own life. Adrian, how did your inner genius create this masterpiece to offer to the larger population through the amazing book, Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power? Hello, Dulcinea. Uh, it was uh, an unfolding, and it took uh, probably all of my life to to do it in the sense that I, I do believe that all of our life experiences is a, is accumulation. 
but what uh, really brought this into fruition for me into the into the writing of the book came out of some teaching that I was doing at a community college here in California. I was uh, for 20 years a college professor, left academia to uh, go into business, became a stockbroker and then a real estate broker, and I had not done any teaching for about a decade when I was invited by the dean at Coastline College to come and teach a course in writing. And I said, well, I'll do that if I can choose my own text. And so he said he didn't care. I could use anything I wanted. And I started to teach from Buckminster Fuller's Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth, the first half of the course, so that I could teach my students how the planet works, how economics work. And the second half, uh, we read Emerson. And the students at the end of the class would write a paper on their inner genius. And after several years of, of teaching this class, I realized that I was ready to, to write my own book. And, and that's how it came to be. Wonderful. It is a wonderful book. And I'm wondering, how did the title arrive? Well, uh, Emerson has an essay experience uh, that ends with the statement, the transformation of genius into practical power. And I had finally come to the conclusion that that's why I was placed here, uh, not for the expression of my own ego and <clears throat> not necessarily for what I was going to accomplish, but my role was as a teacher to help other people discover the way that that they could show up in the world, that they could transform their own inner genius and become powerful in that way. And I, I saw it happening over and over again with the people I was teaching, the people I was coming into contact with, with my ministerial work. And somehow it, it just seemed to be the appropriate title for the book. It's great, and I really especially appreciated the Create a Manual to Operate Your Life. I think we should be born with one of those. <laughs> well, and, and you see, that came from Buckminster Fuller's Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth because he believed that, that uh, Spaceship Earth came without an operating manual because we are here to figure out how it works. Yes, and, and so you've created that for the individual. <laughs> I have created that for the individual. But the process of creating that manual to operate your life goes through some real soul searching. And, and I have exercises at the end of each chapter with, with searching questions. And, and once you have gone through the whole book and you have answered those questions, you begin to know who you are. You begin to know uh where you want to go, and you have a plan for doing it. And, and that's why I said create a manual. <laughs> yes, it was very powerful, and I thought, now this is what my clients are truly asking me for when they come to me, and, and Adrian has created it for them. Wonderful. So the grounded exercise that accompany each concept that you present, I thought they were very helpful and that they serve to bring an emotional, mental awareness to the surface that could really empower an individual. How did you arrive at the conclusion to create that along with your concepts? Um, well, the, the first part of the book and, and the first exercises have to do with clearing out. And by that, I, I mean getting past all of the things that are, that are hanging us up. 
and I talk about the fact that uh, we are are all sentenced. We are all sentenced in this life, and that the people who sentence us don't even know that they are doing it necessarily. They're just working out their life their way according to their own sentences. And I thought once you, you get past some of these ideas that you've picked up from the climate of opinion, that you picked up from race consciousness, that you picked up from the edicts of your parents and the people in your life who are instructing you and also encouraging you and inspiring you, and, and you begin to see them from a different position from clarity, you you kind of know what you have to do in order to be ready to empower yourself. And yeah. uh, now some of the, the parts of, of my sentence uh, were, were very clear to me. I, I talk about this in the book. I had a very beautiful mother who uh, was always supposed to be more beautiful than anybody else and uh, I mean that she just was but I had my own complex about it and so I could look good but I couldn't look as good as my mother I had a very brilliant father and uh, he was smarter than anybody else so I could be smart enough but I could never be smarter than he was and, and this was placing limitations on me that I lived with my whole life without even being conscious of them until I, I started to analyze and think it through. And I think this happens happens to all of us, that we get messages from our parents, and sometimes they're stated and sometimes they're subliminal. But in, unless we know how much that is affecting us, we really can't move to the next level. And and so the early exercises are designed to deal with that. And And some of the others... Uh, this idea that we have to make ends meet, that there's never enough, uh, this this idea of scarcity, I, I grew up with that. And to move from scarcity to abundance, I think you have to acknowledge the amount of energy that those concepts are taking in your life and in the performance of the way you, you do your life. Yes, and I really related to the sentence and then making ends meet. The exercises were very empowering and very <laughs> enlightening. I brought a lot of awareness in for myself, but it was so ironic that I had a very much of a parallel experience personally with my father. He was extremely intellectual, and I was never good enough in school. If I got minus one, it was like, well, you should have got 100. And it was like, okay, I did the best I could. And then when you went into knowing the limits, you said your mother would dress you up as a little doll. Again, yeah. my mom did the same thing. I was adopted, and I was her blue-eyed, blonde-haired little dream baby, and she's Hispanic, so that wouldn't have come out genetically from her mm-hmm. you know, experience. Mm-hmm. And so she used to just get dolls, and she would actually buy dolls that were life-size so she could put my clothes on the dolls and the dolls' clothes on me. And I thought, wow, this is so ironic. Again, we had such parallel experiences. So when the exercise came to the point, whose idea am I? I went, now, wow, this is great. I can only imagine if you experienced this and I experienced this, how many others out there experienced this as well. Exactly. And parallel to this too, Dulcinea, um, my mother used to do this to me at Christmas. (laughs) I don't know that she did it to me at Christmas. This is what she would do at Christmas. Uh, if I got a doll uh, the Christmas before at 
the following Christmas, I would have to wash the doll's clothes and fix her hair and put her underneath a Christmas tree for Santa Claus to see that I had taken good care of the gift I had been given the year before. Wow. So just these ideas that they're not necessarily good or bad, but they hinder us from the truth of who we are. Exactly. Exactly. They do. They do. Yes. Yes. And so I love that you really take people through some questions that make them really ponder upon, okay, are my thoughts really my own or did this come from somewhere else? Did this stem from something else, someone else, some other experience or impression that I had? And I thought, now, again, this is so empowering to my emotional awareness particularly, so then I could truly look at my own desires. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I'm so glad that happened. Yay! <laughs> it's it's wonderful to job. hear you sharing, sharing your experience. It truly is. Yes, yes. So it's just it was really good, and I thought, now, these are just, again, really empowering. And I, I really appreciate the practical nature of the book. It's, it, you give so much personal introspection, amazing quotes with your literature and English background. There's a lot, a lot of quotes throughout the book from very wise beings who've resonated on earth. And then you bring in the practical element, okay, well, how do I actually change this? Or just bring in the awareness of this so that the change is a natural result of that awareness. Good. And that is the unique element to seven tools to transform genius into practical power. Well, thank so, you. Yes. So why don't you introduce these seven tools briefly so that someone who's pondering about going out and getting the book can grasp what, what they will experience in these seven tools? All right. Well, the, the first one in, in probably um, – one of the more unique is is this concept of the great pirate. And uh, Buckminster Fuller, an operating manual for space shippers, uh, talks about the fact that he thought maybe the um, the whole world began somewhere around Bali and that uh, he has this idea that there was this, this first exploring mind, this this individual who had enough gumption to get off the island, who built a canoe and who went from the first island to the second island. And uh, I used to do this exercise with my students where we would have an island with coconuts, one with pineapples, one with mangoes, uh, one where they made baskets, uh, one with bananas. And as this great pirate went from island to island, he discovered what each island had to offer, but he was <clears throat> the only one who had the knowledge. He had the complete and comprehensive knowledge. And the the truth is that our whole planet has been organized in this way by these great pirates who have had the, the secrets of commerce, who have understood where everything is and how everything works, and they keep their control by this knowledge. And then on each island, uh, the great pirate would appoint a king, and that king would be the one who organized the island, and he would be the only one who knew how to do it. The only person he would give his knowledge to would be his son. So that you have this, this line of control from the great pirate who was running the whole operation to the king on each island. But he would be the only one who knew all the kings. He would be the only one who knew all the islands. And he would be the only one 
who is in charge of all the commodities. Uh, what I encourage us to do in our own life is to become great pirates in the sense that we are capable of having comprehensive knowledge. And I think we sometimes forget that because the vicissitudes of life are such that we we lose a job or we lose a relationship uh, and we forget who we are and we seem we feel that we are powerless. And yet the truth is that the knowledge of any field is the mastery of its vocabulary. And if you can somehow hold yourself in such a way that you are not vulnerable to other people, but you are only accountable to yourself, and that at any moment you can change fields, you can change your life, by gaining this comprehensive knowledge and by knowing that you have the capacity to do that, and uh, that's the the analogy that I that I use with these uh, with these great pirates. But you know the the march uh, across this planet was was done by uh, great pirates who were behind the colonization that took place here. With I mean, you look what happened in Africa with. England and, and Belgium and Holland and all of these countries coming in and saying this belongs to us and and built, putting the boundaries around it and the rest of the indigenous people sort of saying oh okay and allowing it to happen and yielding and, and so by being a great pirate you take charge of your life and that's the first tool that's to transform tool. genius into practical power Exactly. That's the very first tool. Now, the second tool is to let go of piano tops. And this, too, is taken from Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth because uh, Fuller gives this analogy or this metaphor that if if you were in a shipwreck and uh, your ship goes down, let's say that you're on the Titanic and it's going down, and you're jumping overboard, and the only thing you can cling to is a piano top, you hang on to that in order to save yourself. And so it becomes your temporary lifesaver, but that's not necessarily the best way to make a lifesaver. So you are clinging to a piano top. And uh, many of us go through life hanging on to a piano top because we're so afraid if we let it go, we will lose our identity. And I think that we is do, so true. We do this over and over and over again. We uh, we do it with with relationships. You grab onto a piano top, and you know this isn't the right person for you. You knew it intuitively. You knew it the moment you met him that he wasn't right. But you you go through all of this this mind talk and you, and you might say well he has a really good job and <clears throat> and he has a has a nice car and he owns his own home and he represents security and uh he treats me respectfully and and so you have all of these things that that lead you to want to grab onto this piano top even though you know that that you're not suited for each other and it becomes like an addiction for you and you hang on to it and and then you do this for years and years and then finally when it comes time to let go your knuckles are white and and um when you let go it it's like falling into the abyss. And yes. this, this this again is 
is part has something to do with being the great pirate because when we're when we're not the great pirate when we don't acknowledge ourselves as as the ones who can uh make decisions and and move forward then we become very vulnerable to hanging on to piano tops and people do it with addictions addictions are piano tops it's that false self-identity. It's I'm going to identify with something that got me through an experience in my life, but in fact it's not, again, not, not the truth of who I am, so it won't create a pure result. Exactly, exactly. And um, I'm sure you have had piano tops in your life. Absolutely. I think I think we all do, and I think some that I became aware of was for myself even it was um, academics was one of those things where because of the ex- uh, perfectionistic expectations from me as a child. Um, With schoolwork, it was like, okay, 100% or else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I became very self-identified with how I performed academically all the way till I got myself to a PhD program at Stanford from a bachelor's program. And and once I got there the first day, I, I went to go to class and I walked into the dean's office, the dean's of admission. She was this wonderful woman. And I said, I'm not attending. And her, her jaw just dropped open. I mean, I was the ideal candidate. I had done yeah. all this extensive research. I was just, and, and what struck me the night before was, you're going to spend seven more years of your life and who knows how much money to, to identify with something that you're not even sure is who you are. Mm-hmm. And if you already got yourself here and you decide this is who you are, you'll be back. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But it was, for me, the test of is this really the truth of who you are? It was a self-identification crisis for me because of my, again, my extreme experience as a child with those perfectionist expectations, extreme perfectionist expectations. So that was one of the, the times in my life where I had to say, okay, this is not the truth of who I am. Mm-hmm. And again, if I decide that it, it, it is a desire of my heart, then I'll be back. Again, I got here before I can get here again. <laughs> get here again. Now, did you know at that time that you were clairvoyant? Had you had experiences that... No. You didn't? No, I had no idea. This was in 2004, and I had always had a photographic mind. So in school, um, we would have these tests through DNA, biology, and particularly psychology is when I started to get inklings that there was something more going on than just photographic Mm-hmm. memory and and so I would just like open the book right to the page that would have like the questions and I'd go in and take the test maybe 15 minutes before and I could never understood understand how people thought school was so difficult mm-hmm. because for me it was I was using unconsciously my intuitive gifts to maneuver wow. through the coursework but again it was so unconscious amazing it, it really was quite striking. And then so once I made the decision to not attend the Ph.D. program in Palo Alto, what I did was I moved about three or four times trying to figure out what am I really doing. So every time I think what I did was I moved and I tried a new city thinking, okay, maybe this city will help me get the answer. And then I went to Sedona to actually Neil Donna Walsh's um, 10-year anniversary event in Sedona, and I got my first reading and she gave me some awareness, and then I went back to Foster City, which is off of San Mateo in the Bay Area, uh-huh. and I went where I was living, and I went, I am moving to Marin County. I don't know why, but I'm going north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, lo and behold, I moved to Marin County, and I went within two weeks of living there down to a psychic fair at a place called Asclepion, 
which is a, a, um, an offshoot of the Berkeley Psychic Institute. And I got my first reading, and they just gave me this information that I went, that is who I am. Like, you just put me in a nutshell. How would you do that? It was really empowering, and I think that was my launching pad for, wow, I'm going to find the truth of who I am, and I think I just got my first golden ticket. (laughs) (laughs) And you got the call. I did. You You got the call. Wow. I did. I did. So that was in one of my times where I got to identify my piano top, release it, and go for the truth, full throttle. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, piano tops are often the things that, that we do that necessarily, that may not necessarily express who we are, but because we're so confident, we keep doing it. So true. And we've mastered it. <laughs> we've, we've mastered it, yes. <laughs> and yes. And, and and so you, many people drift through their whole life that way and and never go beyond and and so I, I I think it's remarkable that that you you did what you did. Now my my next tool is discarding irrelevancies or knowing that there are no mistakes, only opportunities to discover the truth. And um you talked about your perfectionism as a child growing up and and most of us have had the experience we come home from school and, and you have one thing wrong in your paper yes <laughs> and, your, and your parents reprimand you oh yes that was me <laughs> and and so so our whole culture teaches us in some ways that it's not good to make mistakes but the truth is everything we learn we learn by making mistakes and everything we've discovered about how our planet works uh, this operating manual that Fuller talks about, we've learned by making mistakes. And it, it's to the point now, I, I believe, that, that we have changed our whole attitude toward mistakes in the sense that we know that whatever we think is true today, we're probably not going to think it's true tomorrow. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are some verities, like our, our, our spiritual verities, but there are others of of knowledge and, and understanding that, uh, we are constantly making new discoveries. We are constantly discarding uh, erroneous information, and we are constantly moving forward. And and just putting yourself in the framework where you can accept making mistakes and knowing that it's not cataclysmic, it's not going to end your world, that that whatever you're doing right now, if, if you're going in the wrong direction, you can stop, you can change course, uh, put you in a, a frame of mind so that, that you are in a spirit of inquiry and a spirit of discovery and a spirit of openness to to move forward. Yes, that's very important. I think that was probably one of my greatest awarenesses was um, after I had made the decision to go to Berkeley Psychic Institute, I went, wow, how do you pay rent? You don't have student loans. <laughs> and that was one of the mistakes I made was not having my feet on the ground um, as as strongly as I would like. I did I did have my feet on the ground, but of course I, I think that was one of the lessons. And so now, you know, doing anything that I do, it's kind of like, okay, expect 10 mistakes and mm-hmm. then you'll take leaps forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It became a part of my formula <laughs> for success. <laughs> became part of your modus operandi. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think oh. that's very true. Oh, and then my my next tool is using leverage to do more with less. 
Uh, we've just come through a period here in uh, the United States where we have discovered the overuse of leverage uh, in in the sense that the the basic let's, let's I would call it even the law of leverage has been violated by abuse uh, with the subprime mortgages and and people being allowed uh, to leverage without a lever. When I when I say that. Um, the leverage is, is, is a metaphysical application of a physical uh, operation or a physical law. And uh, Buckminster Fuller said he thought it was first discovered by cavemen who were walking across a field and who happened where there were trees that had fallen across each other, and one of them stepped on a tree that lifted another tree and that they probably took it home and erected it as a totem because they thought it was a magic tree. But the truth is that that this principle of leverage at the physical level has always worked. And uh, so when we, we buy a house, when it's done appropriately, the lever that you are using to lift up would be your down payment. But when we started to do this, with, with nothing down, we had people extending themselves in, in ways that, that have been inappropriate. But what leverage does teach us is that we can do more with less and that it is absolutely limitless what we are able to do. And um, I, I like for people to think about how they can leverage their work. For instance, you're leveraging your work. You uh, work on a personal basis with clients, but then you are taking it out into the universe through the radio. Yes. And so what you do on a daily basis uh, with a few clients, you can now reach hundreds of thousands of people. It's unlimited. Yes, thank you for that. It's really an honor to offer the platform. It's miraculous in my mind. <laughs> well, and, and you see, and it goes on and on. It's not just the live interview that you were doing. Then it goes up on your website, and so it, it is leveraged again. And it, it's the Internet has become such a vehicle for us to leverage our activities. And we think about the computer and, and what it does that it enables us to leverage our activities what we know is that we were meant to use this tool. We were meant to use this principle. Uh, Buckminster Fuller says that he does believe that that is the message of the uh, Jesus changing the loaves and the fishes and and and, I agree. and and feeding feeding the multitudes. That he was teaching that principle. But today, I mean, we are doing it in such with such magnificence. But uh, I encourage people to think about all of the things that they are doing in their daily work, all of the things that they are achieving, all of the gifts that they have to share, all of the wisdom that they have to impart, and how they can leverage that so that instead of reaching just a few people, they are reaching the multitudes. Yes, that's a powerful point. And in the introduction of seven tools to transform genius into practical power, you made a statement that you are totally in awe of the giving nature of God that manifests as God expressing through man. And I really got that. I saw infinity symbols coming down in gold streams to just one person, but it could be any one person. So anyone on earth could be this person that I saw. 
mm-hmm. and just showing this infinite supply available. It's like we all have a divine trust fund, <laughs> and I saw it through infinity symbols. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love the divine trust fund. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> My inspiration when I really need to remember that I am a limitless being. Yes. And I, I can tap that resource anytime I have faith to believe it is so. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and uh, I, I talk in the book about uh, that when Jesus was doing that, he used expectation, belief, and word. And I do think those are the, the three uh, principles here that we need to take inside of ourselves to really use leverage effectively. In other words, what is what is our expectation? What are what are we looking for? Are are we always in the spirit of of inquiry asking how can I manifest this in a in a way that that shares and that multiplies? And then to have the belief that you are capable of doing it and then you follow that with your word. And it, and it's it's with the word. It's it's with the statement that that you bring it into being. And I think we all know the power of words. We know the power of words that for our good, and we know the power of words that can uh, cause us problems. It's it's like we have to be very careful what we say. We have to, have to be very careful that we are not uh, causing to manifest in our lives those things that we don't want because of our languaging, of how we describe our circumstances. That's why I like to talk about challenges rather than problems and i like to talk about expectations uh rather than uh drawbacks or obstacles and i I think in our our languaging we then have the ability to see the world in a different way yes it produces an optimistic attitude if you will Yes, and that's what attracted me to Buckminster Fuller to begin with. It was his incredible optimism. I, I talk in the book about how I, I got to know him. I was uh, teaching at the University of Colorado in Boulder where we have a World Affairs Conference uh, every spring, and uh, Bucky would be the kickoff speaker. And uh, he would speak for three hours or sometimes four nonstop, not even taking a drink of water. And he would just go on and on and on and on with this optimism about how man has the capacity to solve every problem, uh, that, that we have the, the scientific basis to do this problem solving, and that we, as so long as, as we hold the right attitude that this is possible, that we, we can, in other words, leverage these things. And, and I'm finding right now during this um, during this campaign, so so much of the languaging is going to the problem rather than lifting us out of it into the capacity to solve problems. Yes, yes, I agree that the ability to look at the solution, only the solution, know that because we focus on the intention of the solution, it appears. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. Yes, so I want to let our audience know we're speaking with Dr. Adrian Windsor, the author of Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power, Create a Manual to Operate Your Life. You can find her on the web at www.adrianwindsor.com. 
www.amazonprime.com. You can purchase the book on the web at www.amazon.com or for an auto autographed copy, which you can't go wrong there, you can send $18.95 for the book plus $4.50 for shipping and handling to Adrian Windsor at 14252 Culver, that's C-U-L-V-E-R, Drive, number 205A, that's in Irvine, California, 92604. And if you just didn't get that information from me, but you are desiring an autographed cop, an autographed copy, you can check her out on the web. Again, that's www.adrianwindsor.com, and that information will be there up on her website. In addition to it being up on the um, www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. So tell us about the fifth tool. Okay, it's it's synergy and. Um, Synergy, when Fuller was first talking about it, was kind of a new word. If if you uh, go to your uh, telephone directory now, you'll probably find a whole list of companies that in, incorporate this word. And I am I am using it in the sense that uh, the the whole is not defined by each of its parts. And I give very practical application to this idea of synergy in the sense that I believe that we all have a way of operating, a a way of living, a way of being that is distinct for us, and yet there are certain categories that we sort of fall into. And oftentimes we find ourselves doing work that we're not suited to, because we have not gone through the self-analysis of knowing what kind of personality that we have. And I uh, advocate this DISC test, D-I-S-C. I don't, uh, some of our listeners may have taken this test. Uh, there are other personality-type tests that, that do the same thing, but I'd like to address the, the four personality types in the in the DISC, D-I-S-C. This is a test that you take, and and when you do it, you um, are asked questions that you can't manipulate. I'm I'm sure you've had the experience, Dulcinea, of taking tests, and and you know how to answer them so that you get the desired result. With this one, it's uh, uh, a little trickier, and, and so at the end of it, your personality type is put on a graph and you come out high in the area that best defines your personality. So that a high D is a person who is is very demanding, driving, entrepreneurial, impatient, decisive, uh, and a a good candidate to be uh, the CEO of a company, but certainly not a good candidate to work for someone. In other words, these these people are are so driven with this high D type personality that they are aggressive. They're uh, often very very good at sales. Now the high I person is extremely intuitive, um, loves people, loves to be loved. If you go to a party with a high I on the way home, that person will say, "Oh, he really liked me," or, or "She really liked me." Uh, women who are high eyes sometimes will wear pins with their names on them. 
and it's it's because they they want to be accepted, they want to be agreeable, but they also are very empathetic and and sympathetic, and and they are strong in in service type positions, uh, jobs like like counselors and and uh, psychiatrists and even customer service, any kind of work where caring for other people is important. High eyes excel in this. Now, high S's are people who love to serve, people who are, are very predictable, uh, people who like to have definitions and borders in the work that they do, who easily take instruction. Uh, we need many, 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 many high S's because they are the ones who carry out the tasks. They're the ones who are on the uh, uh, the lines, the production lines in, in a factory. These are the worker bees. This is the person that you trust to come in and open your business in the morning and, and uh, close it at night. And uh, they are, the, let us say, the, the backbone of society in some ways. And then the high C is a person who is research-oriented, who can never really come to a conclusion. Their research is never done. They tend to be very intellectual. They tend to be indecisive. They, um, they, they tend to be brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and we need them because these are our research scientists. These are the people who are happy to be in a laboratory and, and, and doing their work in, in that way. Now, why is this important? This is important because if you are a high S and you take a job as a telemarketer doing outbound calls, you're going to fail because that takes a, a skill that, that you don't have that goes contrary to your very nature. You don't even want to pick up that phone, let alone call somebody and take that kind of rejection. And so if you know that you're a high S, if you know that you're someone who should be supporting someone else, <coughs> then you you won't find yourself in, in the wrong position. I use an example uh, in my book of a, a family that I came to know. The woman had been a research scientist uh, with AT&T in Boston, and the husband was uh, a violinist. He had a wonderful job in the Boston Symphony. He had a tenured position. And uh, they downsized her laboratory, and they uh, eliminated her job, and they gave her a job with AT&T in sales. So they moved to California. The husband gave up his job with the orchestra, and they had two children in college. This was an economic decision for them. They had one at USC and, and one at Berkeley. And uh, within six months... The woman had had lost her job in sales because she wasn't performing. She was a high C type personality. She was a researcher. She was she did not have the aggressive high D personality that you need to be effective in sales and the high I personality. <laughs> and the husband, the the husband found himself in a position where he couldn't get a job in a major orchestra here. He was taking little part time jobs. He he his he was totally decimated in terms of his feeling of, of self-worth, and it, it just ripped the whole family apart. And they would have been much better off if she had just found herself another research job 
in Boston, and he had stayed with what he was doing, even if she hadn't made as much money, because she would have going to gone to the work that was appropriate for her. Yes, it's in essence setting yourself up for success because you have a sense of who you are and what you need. Exactly. Very good. So that's the fifth tool in the book, Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power. What is the sixth tool? Okay. The sixth tool is to envision your big picture and take command of your navigational path. And taking your your big picture is is how big can you think, uh, which is kind of scary. I think, <laughs> I, I think for most of us, having a big picture is is very scary because um, we have <laughs> all these limitations that we put on ourselves. But if you have the courage to entertain that big picture to to look at it to set your goal to acknowledge your vision then once you have done that you can go into that big picture and you can chunk it down into steps that i say uh would would be your your navigational path and i i use examples in the book from from my own life um my father's father uh, owned a coal yard in a small town, and he um, he bought a big piece of property in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, a whole section of land, 640 acres. And his his big picture was to move there and and to uh, work that land. I don't know exactly if he you know wanted to farm or if he wanted to do you know the woods or whatever. But anyway, that was his big picture, and. Um, my grandmother would not move. She wanted to stay exactly where she was. She she fought him on that. And so there was a division in the family, and um, he finally left. He he deserted. He left her with, uh, eventually it was, he came back a couple of times. She had 12 children during the Depression, and she had to do it all on her own. And I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying that my grandfather did the right thing, my great-grandfather, that he did the right thing, but I'm saying that because he had a big picture and it was out of sync with hers that this created a division that was irreparable in in that family. Now, in my particular case with my parents, uh, they had a big picture that they worked together on. Um, because my father grew up with uh, in a family where there was was just no money, he worked summers uh, caddying at a golf course at the local country club, and uh, he not only learned to love golf, but he also created a, a desire, a big picture that these were the wealthiest people in the community, and they had rolls of money, and and he wanted that for himself in his own life. It took him a long time to get there, but at one point uh, he took my mother to play golf. It was the first time she had, and uh, he had been on a member of the the, of the chamber of commerce in, in the community, and he had wanted to build a golf course, and they had decided no, they wouldn't do that. Uh, the town was too small, so he told my mother about this dream he had, and she said, "Let's do it." And so they did, and they bought a, a 65-acre piece of property, which later they expanded on. 
that you can't build a golf course just by deciding that's your big picture. You have to chunk it down in measurable steps. And this was the navigation path that they set. My father did the the layout of the course, the design. Uh, my grandfather was a farmer, came in, and he planted a, a base of, of rye grass that was for the basis for the golf course. Uh, in those days, you didn't come in. At least they didn't have the, the resources to just build the greens. They uh, have it done professionally. They did it by hand themselves. But each step of the way of building this business was part of the chunking down of the navigational path that was required to realize this big picture. And at the end of it, they had probably the finest 18-hole public golf course in southern Michigan. And this was an enormous achievement for them. And uh, But it came because my father had not only the dream and the vision, he had the intellect to do the design and the layout. My mother had a wonderful personality for relating to people. And also, she had all of these high-S capabilities of fulfilling the major tasks that had to be done. And so it was a, a synergetic union that worked together successfully. Yes, and you know, as you speak of this, I think of on the West Coast, um, Dr. Schuler of the Crystal Cathedral, Robert Schuler, how he and his wife came from Iowa with $500, and they launched out of a, a drive-in movie theater, an old exactly. drive-in movie theater, <laughs> and he just took the escalator up one step at a time, and at the top, he had his dream of the Crystal Cathedral, which he now has handed a large majority over to his son, I think, in his 80s. <laughs> yes, yes. But he, he, he's still there. And, and uh, I had um, my two closest friends from high school came for a reunion um, oh, last fall. And the one thing they wanted to do was go to the Crystal Cathedral. That that was uh-huh. that was such a, a that was a dream for them because uh, you know Schuler they they would see it every week on on television and and just to to be in that space. But you're absolutely right. That was his big picture. Yes. So so we all can do it. We just have to find that role model that shows us wow it can be done with faith, belief, intention. It will come. But you also have to have self discipline. Yes. I mean, you have to move your your feet. I I do believe in in the law of attraction, but I I think that the in addition to the law of attraction, we we have to do the work. It it takes the yes. blood, sweat, and tears. And, Absolutely. And we we I, can't forget oh, that. <laughs> I I would have to agree. I mean, Schuler being so humble to start out in a, a drive-in movie theater, and he said the way he got his um, you know, his people to come to the church was by knocking on doors, just just like a salesperson would. So he knew who he was, as you mentioned in the book, Mm -hmm. Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power, and he went knocking on doors. And for me, it's been um, just, for, for my vision with Evolution Revolution, it's been just networking myself or contacting authors or, you know, just really putting myself out there. I mean, I do a lot of footwork. So I definitely would have to agree our feet need to be on the ground to keep the vision in manifestation. (laughs) And and you do keep moving. I do know that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I I have observed it in in, uh, just the way you contact people. 
and and the way you follow up and and uh, so that it you you have set your navigational path and you're doing it very effectively. Well, uh, let me just talk about the last tool, which is to yes. tap tap into your your true wealth. Uh, one of the stories that I love in Operating Manual for Spaceshipper is that Fuller tells he talks about a billionaire and his wife who've gone on a on this ship, a ship like the Titanic, and and they've taken with them all these things they're putting in the safe. They have some stocks and some bonds and, and her jewelry and her furs and all of these things are, are in the safe. So they've carried uh, that wealth with them and stowed it away. And then there is a shipwreck, and um, the ship goes down. And at that point, he says that... This billionaire would give anything to be saved, to have his life saved, and none none of those possessions mean a thing to him. But what does mean something to him is that he brings with him his problem-solving ability that will empower him to recreate that wealth. In other words, to go forward. And that we have no limitations on our problem-solving ability. We have no limitations. We can tap into that abundance of the universe at any moment. We can we can tap into spirit and we can get answers. And we can go forward and become a part of, of, the, of the abundance that's out there waiting for us. Yes, that's a very important point because that goes back to in essence, making mistakes, and sometimes it's not a mistake, but there's a a natural mishap like the ship sinking or Mm -hmm. like a hurricane coming through and, you know, getting our computer and our valuables. And what we carry forth with that is that eternal essence of our being that has the experience to know how to maneuver through that challenge or opportunity. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so um, this this is what I do in the book. This in each of these these chapters has uh, exercises to empower you to move forward on on your voyage. And and that's so it the book is about you. At the same time, because I'm a professor of literature and, and one of the manifestations in my life, I've gone through so many career changes. I know all about changing courses and and mastering new vocabularies, uh, but I uh, draw upon uh, some of the finest literature of Kafka and, and Melville and James Joyce and, and Virginia Woolf and, of course, an abundance of Emerson and, and, uh, and Whitman and, and using stories to illustrate my points as I go yes. through. Yes, and, you know, you do a great job at integrating logic, intuition, your educational experience and strong literature background and business savvy, which then all gets accumulated into this amazing toolkit that creates the book, Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power, Create a Manual to Operate Your Life. Again, you can find Adrian on the web at www.adrianwindsor.com, and you can purchase the book at www.amazon.com, or if you'd like an autographed copy, you can go to her website. Again, that's www.adrianwindsor.com. And you can find on there, purchase an autographed copy, and she gives the $18.95 for the book amount, plus $4.50 for shipping and handling. And she offers the address in Irvine. 
please explore that again at www.adrianwindsor.com. The path to self-empowerment and inner wealth leads to a life of intrinsic fulfillment, thereby manifesting the outer production of success. The spiritual toolkit that one may acquire on their journey is an absolute to eliciting the emotional, spiritual, and mental awareness that serves to optimize one's authentic and divinely inherent power. Begin today to seek out the toolkit that can lead to your inner abundance and guide you through life's most exciting obstacle course in a meaningful and rewarding manner. You have the keys, so it's up to you to now choose to open the golden door for yourself. Coming up next week, May 15th, I am honored to announce Gary Zukov and his life partner, Linda Francis, will be appearing to talk about Gary's latest phenomenal book release, Soul to Soul, Communications from the Heart, and to discuss one of the many opportunities to interact with Gary and Linda at the various upcoming retreats occurring this spring and summer to include the Path to Authentic Power Retreat to be held at Magical Mount Hood in Oregon on July 20th through the 24th. Please visit Gary and Linda on the web for more information about the book and the retreat at www.seatsofthesoul.com or on the new Evolution Revolution homepage at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. On May 22nd from the School of Metaphysics, Dr. Laurel Clark will be appearing to share about her latest book release, The Law of Attraction and Other Secrets of Visualization. On May 29th, Albert Clayton Galden will be appearing, author of Signs and Wonders, and You're Not Who You Think You Are, a blueprint for retrieving your authentic self. For June, coming up will be Daniel Condren from the School of Metaphysics and his enlightened consciousness with the book The Emptiness Sutra, and we'll mention the second book, The Secret Code of Revelation. He'll be appearing on June 5th. On June 12th, Karen Sawyer, with her amazing compilations of spiritual leaders in her wonderful book, Soul Companions. On June 19th, Dr. Susan Carroll will be reappearing on Evolution Revolution to discuss Volume 2 of Becoming One, People, and Planet, a revolutionary look at the interconnectedness between the planet and man. And you can look forward in July to Evo Dominguez Jr. with his valuable and highly insightful book, Spirit Speak, Knowing and Understanding Spirit Guides, Ancestors, Ghosts, Angels, and the Divine on July 10th. On July 17th, the captivating book, Medicine Dance, a powerful look into a woman's healing journey into the world of Native American sweat lodges, drumming meditations, and dance fasts as she faced overcoming a major health obstacle. On July 31st, Chrissy Blaze will be reappearing to discuss the wonderful book, Power Prayer, that she co-wrote with Gary Blaze and a foreword written by Marianne Williamson. Please join us. In August, the most accurate medium, psychic, and enlightening author, Jock Brokus, with his powerful wisdom and professional expertise, in a well-rounded personal portrait emphasizing the importance of the intuitive gift in this modern-day existence that lies inherent deep within each human being in his latest book release, Powers of the Sixth Sense. You can purchase Jock Broca's book and all of our author's books at www.amazon.com.
www.thepowerofpositivityradio.com. Please join me in the upcoming weeks on the new independent production of Evolution Revolution. Additionally, please explore the Evolution Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors that can be found at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. Under the Evolution Revolution tab and in the blue talk shoe player box under past episodes are also can be found by clicking the talk shoe link on the same webpage. The archive shows are available 24 hours a day to listen, download into iTunes or Windows Media Player at no charge. The archives include amazing talent such as Chrissy Blaze, Neil Donald Walsh, Taylor Wilshire, Dr. Barbara Condren, Jeff Brown, Dr. Susan Carroll, Anna Maria Hemingway, Charles Virtue, Michael Tamora, Marla Martinson, Michael Brown, Richard Blackstone, David Robert Ord, Megan Skinner, Dr. Lisa Love, Jennifer Weigel, Dr. Betty Youngs, and Paula Marie Jackson. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, healer, and spiritual counselor who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. Please visit me on my newly created website at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com or at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. There is a clairvoyant reading page on the website to explore, which includes testimonials from clients and my contact information. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Co-create with Evolution Revolution. We are seeking partners to help Evolution Revolution evolve and expand to reach even more people across the globe. If you are interested in partnering and supporting the rapid development of Evolution Revolution, please email myself on the Contact Us page at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com and let me know of your interest. I look forward to hearing from you about the infinite possibilities to co-create in the highest light and grandest intentions. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with myself and my honored guest, Dr. Adrian Windsor. Thank you so much, Adrian. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure, Dulcinea, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting the new and revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution Talk Radio. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles, and love today and always. Abundant angel blessings. Good night. Good night.